Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lenz, joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Christian, the clink of the cups as we start today's show is because it's a very special episode here at Cinema on Tap. We will be reviewing the brand new Disney film, Wish, as well as sharing Which our top five Disney movies. vastly different opinions on Wish, apparently. We do, yeah. I'm looking forward to unpacking it a little bit more. Okay, okay. I'm... Scott, you don't understand how comfortable I feel. I am... I've got this... We are in your home today. I've got <laughs> the sweats on. You're wearing comfy pants. I've got the backwards hat. Uh... I've got I've got the nice cider and rum in my hand. I'm ready. I'm ready. So Christian, before we get to Wish, I want to talk about a couple other new releases. Out. Uh, Scott, before we talk about other new releases, let's <laughs> talk about our fun fact for the week. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> How could I forget? You see, we're not drinking beer on today's show, although, of course, we're cinema on tap. We've made us a special little cocktail here for our top five Disney movies. I mean, I've got two. One is simply that the reason why yeast is one of the ingredients in beer is because that's the magic element that is turning all of the sugars into alcohol. Thank you to the yeast. Thank you to yeast. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. Um, and do you know what is the first country ever that opened up a beer museum? A beer museum? Yes. I mean, Germany? It's within that continent. Switzerland. The Czech Republic. The Czech Republic. Wow. Thank you to yeast and to the Czechs for preserving the great Big history fans. of beer. Big fans. Now, some new release films. <laughs> we are getting into the end of the year. I'm sure some movies that we're talking about will eventually end up on our respective top tens yes. of the year. But there's a lot of big movies coming out. And we're already talking about Wish on this episode. But I figured we'd talk about a couple of other movies coming out. One thing I wanted to say is since you saw them earlier in the month, I was finally able to catch up with both Saltburn and Priscilla. And you liked Priscilla. I loved Priscilla. I did too. Priscilla is very, very good. Yes. Strong recommend for me. Saw it with Maddie. She enjoyed it as well. Big recommendation from myself as well. If you like Sofia Coppola in general, you are going to love Priscilla. It is so Sofia Coppola-y. But even if you don't, I think it makes a really interesting companion piece to Elvis from last year. It's a very different portrayal of Elvis, but also of Priscilla and their life together. And I just think it's a really skillfully done drama, let alone all the other great things that come from Sofia Coppola. I know you had a chance to speak on it a couple weeks ago, Christian, but any other Priscilla thoughts? It's so weird how nothing is didactic at all, and yet it's really harsh. So many scenes just introduce you to a couple of awful things, which aren't treated necessarily as being awful, just as this is, it's a chain of events. And it, they leave you to, to think about what your position is on these chain of events. Yes, that is one way of, that is one way of putting it. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's pro or anti most of the things that happen. Yeah, I think it's it's really observant yes. of what it must have been like to be Priscilla Presley, and in a way, her experience as a woman, I think, is maybe the the more central 100%. point. Uh, so very good movie. Strongly consider or recommend that people check that out if it is in a theater near you. I'm sure it's going to be around 
yeah. at least in LA for sure, but some other cities around as well through the end of the year here as Oscar buzz starts picking up. Saltburn, I will say, not as big a fan as you are from what it seems like. I think there's a lot of fun to be had with Saltburn. It is a very pretty movie. Emerald Fennell obviously wrote and directed, but Linus Sandgren was her... Linus? Linus? I think Linus. But Linus Sandgren was her cinematographer here. He is an Oscar winner for La La Land, if I'm not mistaken, and he knows how to shoot the heck out of a movie, and it just looks fantastic. Love Barry Coogan. Love Jacob Elordi. Had a little Jacob Elordi double feature. <laughs> not seeing both these movies in the same day, but on back-to-back nights. I do think the the story and the narrative fall apart for me as the movie goes on. And I think it ends in a really almost icky place, just in what what I think Emerald Fennell is trying to say, if anything. And so you kind of Here's, have to wonder, is like, on I, one I'm, hand, I like let say, her tell an interesting dramatic tale. I'm not sure she's trying to say yeah. anything. And, and I even went... And that's what I'm getting at, yeah. I even went to a Q&A with her there, and, and she said that, that she just wanted to write a little bit of a story with the basic premise being obsession, but also that she just wanted to have fun. And that's that's how I take this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty uncomfortable. It's very basic. But I, I don't know. It made me squirm at times more than any other movie this year. There is a moment late in this movie where something involving dirt in the ground yep. started yep. happening. Yep. Yep. And yep. Uh, let's just yep. say yep. one yep. of the one of the characters and a pile of dirt. And a woman in my... And I saw this with a packed audience. It, yep. That was a great way to see this movie. Yep. And a woman in my audience started laughing uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it's because she was nervous or <laughs> put off or if she just thought it was terrible but, or something. But yep. she was just cracking up. And she was the only one and it just—it was the perfect backing to this particular moment in the movie. It's an unbroken take, also, because you are the camera is sitting there for like a minute, and you literally go from, "Huh, oh, oh, eh. yes." <laughs> um, there's also a moment with a bathtub. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw that posted on Twitter, actually, which. It's much better to experience that moment blind. You don't blind, want to know. You don't want to know. But also extremely off-putting. Um, <laughs> but Absolutely. The third movie I wanted to bring up quickly is a movie that we got to see together, and that is May-December. Oh, yeah. Which is Todd Haynes' new movie for yes. fans of Carol, yes, yes. or maybe his older movies like Far From Heaven or Velvet Goldmine. And Velvet Goldmine is a masterpiece. Far From Heaven is a masterpiece. Those two movies, I 100% recommend it. Um, May-December is about an actress who goes to who's going to do a movie based on the real life story of a woman played by Julianne Moore who at I believe she's 41 years old when she gets impregnated by a 13 year old and uh, and so she goes to visit because after she went to jail and got out of jail her and the child when when the child turned 18 got married and uh, Natalie Portman goes to Julianne Moore and Charles Melton. Charles Melton is playing the the um, younger half of the couple in order to figure out what, how to get into the headspace. It is weird. It is also very off-putting, and there are five different tones, comedic and dramatic, and also 
just the absurd and weird uses of music in order to kind of draw out random pieces of comedy by trying to suggest that tension is there in the oddest moments. It is, um, I like it and confused by it. Don't love it. I like it a lot. And as I was, I was having that moment where I was writing my letterbox entry for it and realized that I was gushing in praise and I, <laughs> I might like it even more than I think. I, I think it's a very difficult and layered movie. There's a lot going on. And there's a lot to say just about the, the art of and sometimes the act of performance. Obviously, Natalie Portman's character is playing an actress. And so we get to see Portman, who is an actress, playing another actress. And what she chooses to amplify about this woman's personality is really interesting. Sometimes really funny and sometimes a, a little bit unsettling almost. And Charles Melton is playing this man who was, as we know, just by how the world works, essentially preyed upon by this older woman, but has chosen to stay with her and build a family with her. And the way that he carries himself, his body language, is so indicative of what he must be feeling inside. And Julianne Moore playing this woman named Gracie, who is inspired by the real-life Mary Kay Letourneau, which is what this like whole movie is sort of loosely inspired by. And she is playing this older woman who has this almost like fanciful figure that she keeps up where she speaks with this lisp that might be natural, of course, but there's a suggestion that maybe it's not. She's always dressed almost like a Barbie doll. Like she has these these pretty dresses that she's always wearing. She's a baker and that's her, how, she, how they make money. She may or may not have had a traumatic event early on in her life. Right. May or may not have been a victim of something herself. And yeah, it's just this complex and layered movie and the way that they navigate this subject matter I think is really deftly done where it's uncomfortable and cringe inducing but not because they're being careless with the like the story it's just because of of how tense things get between I, these people I will say I'm not entirely sure that the movie cares about its subject matter I think it cares much more so about the idea of performance through the subject matter. Right. The idea of when you turn on or off a performance is at the center of this movie. Um, I don't think this movie is for everyone. I will say. I think some people are very much so going to be too weirded out by it. I think maybe, but I wouldn't necessarily describe it as weird. I, I, I would say it's certainly prickly and off-putting subject matter at times, but... It also, it, it's more melodramatic. Like the music that you mentioned, yeah. Todd Haynes literally lifted score from a movie, a 70s movie called The Go-Between. And he and his composer did some variations on it as the sort of new music. And they will drop this like thunderously dramatic yeah. score at sometimes what feels like the right moment. The movie opens on this field of, uh, field of butterflies and yeah. this music playing. But also sometimes they will drop it in almost like a laugh track as like, Natalie Portman or Julianne Moore say something bizarre to each other and then they drop the music in. 100%. <laughs> like the whole audience we were seeing this with started laughing. So I don't know if I'd say weird, but certainly not experimental ish. May maybe, yeah. But it's coming to Netflix in the near future here, which is why I wanted to make sure we talked about it. Really would encourage people to check this out, especially if you're into following movies that might be uh, in awards contention later this year. Todd Haynes' movies are often up for consideration there. I'm sure all three of these actors will be in the running for some nominations, but just a great movie regardless. So I recommend we, you check it out. We were in the same room as Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. And Todd Haynes and Charles Melton and Sammy Birch, who was the, the screenwriter. 
got to see Q and A. Pretty cool. All right, we should we should talk now about a movie that is nothing like May December. Indeed, we shall. Yes. Yeah, so that that's a little roundup of 2023 movies. I was doing some catch up, and we saw one together. And now we'll talk about another 2023 movie, one that we did not see together, but. Of course, that movie is Wish, which is Disney's latest. It should be releasing around the around the world, I imagine. By the time this episode drops, we got I to think see it. Open today. Okay, so opened this week in advance of the Thanksgiving holiday. We're recording on Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and we got to see it at some special advance screenings that Disney arranged with AMC, I think, because we both saw it at different AMCs. I, I think it was a couple different theaters. Maybe, yeah. Yes. Uh, Wish follows. Story of Asha, who is a young woman who lives on uh, the island of Rosas. Yes, the island of Rosas, whose uh, sorcerer king has the ability to, uh, if given your heart's deepest wish, he can then grant that wish to you later in life. Asha is at first trying to become one of the king's apprentices and help guard and protect and grant the wishes but ultimately discovers that he is much more stingy with granting the wishes than they thought he was. And so she, after encountering a magical creature, shall we say, goes on a, I wouldn't call it an adventure or a journey, she stays in Rosas the entire time, but begins to try to uh, spread the love with the wish granting while King Magnifico tries to keep a hold on his own particular seat of power. All right, Asha is played by Ariana DeBose. Indeed she is. And uh, King Magnifico is played by Chris Pine. Indeed he is. Now, I could not fathom this. You apparently ended up disliking the movie while I ended up liking this movie. I was dumbfounded when these when these, these reactions came to light, Christian. <laughs> Especially like, because of the, the problems that I had. This made for Scott to That's enjoy, not, to no. smile. I'm offended. He'll be like, Oh, it's a fun time. Everyone who doesn't like this movie doesn't know what's going on. I was so expecting you to go on. Meanwhile, yeah. I walked out of this movie thinking like the this movie is written so poorly that I am so convinced that Christian is going to be with me in disliking it. It's it's it, it the writing is solely to serve a main purpose. And that main purpose is, guys, isn't the history of Disney cool? And honestly, after watching like 25 to 26 Disney movies this past month, I was like, yeah, the history of Disney is cool. Now, I would say you're right if that was the main purpose of the movie. But instead, they have this... The movie has a tendency of referencing or including an Easter egg to Disney's past. There's yep. a, a bear character named John, like yep. little John from Robin Hood. There's a rabbit who does the thing that Thumper does with his foot from Bambi. There's, There's a guy a who's dressed up like Peter Bambi. Pan. There's a, a deer named Bambi. <laughs> but the actual... There's a wand that's Fairy Godmother's wand from yes. Cinderella. But the actual story of the movie itself is so, to me, so empty and shallow. And it's banking on you thinking about all of the better Disney movies that you've seen and just sort of lumping Wish in with them. But instead, it doesn't really tell a great story of its own. 
and you have these Disney Easter eggs, and I just got lost in wondering, are they trying to let Wish be its own thing? Are they trying to harken back to the past? Because if so, they're doing it poorly. I mean, it was specifically made for Disney 100. Right, which is why it's so disappointing to me. <laughs> well, here, did you did you have like the little commercial beforehand that was yes. Walt Disney like playing with Mickey? Folks, Kingdom Hearts Mickey makes an appearance. Yes, he does! I, uh, yes, he does! I have held my tongue about Kingdom Hearts this entire <laughs> month, but let me tell you, we see various incarnations of Mickey over the years in his film and TV appearances. And one is him wielding his golden keyblade. And folks, I giggled. I giggled like a little <laughs> schoolboy in my audience. I was pleased. Um, okay. And that, I, I kind of, maybe if they hadn't played that right before Wish, my thoughts would be different. But them playing that right before Wish, I was like, oh. Okay, and and almost like subconsciously, it told me this is something to celebrate Disney. And look, this first of all, the Kingdom of Rosas is like a, a nation of refugees or like immigrants or who knows, like, man. There, there's and King Magnifico gets magical abilities and he develops these and hones his skills after something. Happened happens to his to home his, his home yes which i thought they would expand upon and they I, did not. They, 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 there's a few a couple lines about it they don't really explain it much more than that and then they end up at rosas and people come here hearing about this magical king who can grant wishes everyone and, and the reason that look everyone here is of a different race and you know dope that disney wants representation except that they keep accepting people into the kingdom and then forcing them to give up their wishes which like when you think about it doesn't seem great nope um the whole the whole wishing system is it's not confusing make sense? it's it's a straightforward system but it, it makes if you give it more than an ounce of thought it, it just completely falls apart as to why they're still going along with it after all these years because the whole the the big dramatic turning point early on in the movie is we find out that king magnifico sparingly grants wishes and he does so on purpose because anybody whose wish is too vague or too self-serving could become a danger but we obviously learn that that's sort of serving his own self-interest and not really for the interest of the people so why are why is everybody going along with it? Like King Magnifico to me was so obviously evil. That's <laughs> just like why do people think this guy's such a sweetheart? Like well, he's sassy to them I, at these wish ceremonies. Like are they, they not getting it? These songs are so emotionally manipulative and they worked on me. Like even the lyrics, so I look up to the stars to guide me. It it I felt something. Look, that song's because, called This Wish. And when yes. Ariana DeBose starts starts singing it out, man, I, sh I shed real tears. I, I, I did not like this movie at all. And I was crying honest to goodness tears. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> She's and incredible. This, and and that's, that's how I felt about this movie. I'm like, look, this movie is something to take the kids to. And this movie is to be like, maybe it's not a movie. Like, maybe it's literally just one big ad for Disney. And Which is gross, if that's what it actually is. But... <laughs> But something about talking about how special it is to have a wish and pursue it felt so innocent, despite the fact that it's coming from a billion-dollar company, that I was like, you know what? Down. I'm down with this weird goat that can speak and with this magic Little star that's coming Valentino. along. I, I, I was like, yeah, wishes are important. And the whole thing is, what does it mean for someone to actually grant it? But then what does it mean for someone to seek it out and reach that destination themselves 
So it's not going to make my top twenty of the year. Oh, good lord, <laughs> not in my top twenty Disney animated uh, movies, as you'll soon come to find out. But what did you make of the animation style? I I read your review, and I first of all thank you. <laughs> I th- no like I see, but that's neither here nor there. Well, it's 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 one of those where I. I disagreed that the animation looked bad. I loved all the storybook aspects to it. I liked that it felt the most fusion between like a 2D and 3D thing that maybe you could reach out and turn the page. It felt like a pop-up storybook to me. And it, 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 it in one of those, one of my favorite things, and one of those where I was like giddy because of all the homework, Disney homework I had done this month, is in the beginning, and they had not done this in a while, it's hey. a book. Which so many Disney movies over the years open on a book with the title of the movie on it that opens up and either a narrator will start talking or they'll go into a song or they'll just show images of the storybook. I I did like that touch at the beginning. Which felt cool. Now, maybe all the Easter eggs just didn't do anything for the story, but for this trying to be reminiscent that, yes, the Disney theme to this day is Pinocchio's when you wish upon a star kind of a thing that it was um, the fairy godmother with her wand granting Cinderella's dream for a day when it is uh, oh man all, all of these I don't know even the genie from Aladdin granting three wishes that that is so much of Disney's past that in something so pure as so let's just explore what it means to have a wish and want it to come true i mean with going back to the art style like i i think it's a real shame uh especially because number one this is the perfect opportunity for disney to try a 2d animated movie again they have not made one since 2011's winnie the pooh before that it was uh, princess and the frog a couple of years before and they go for this storybook style 3d animation and to me it did not work at all. And I think the characters look pretty ugly. And if they don't look ugly, they just look anonymous. Um, Asha has this group of friends who's... You're alone on that. For, for no, that, I, I can understand a good chunk of what your critiques are. That I know I, I loved it. I love the animation. Truly. I, I, I am not alone in that in terms of just like broad reception from what I've read so far at least. Um, but it did feel different though. But and it felt am, different in a bad way. Like it, it, okay. I, I'm, I'm glad they tried something, but I'm not glad that it failed that, spectacularly. That, that's my whole thing about innovation. I, I agree with you that if they try something, it's in a bad way. Yeah, but I actually liked te- different textures. I mean, I will say, I think the, the environments, like the background and the layout, like that stuff looks pretty good. It's the, the way that the characters look in front of the background and the, just the character designs. Like I didn't love where they took those. And so for me, like the animation itself wasn't working. I was not connecting to the themes at all. It felt very vague and sort of ooey gooey to me. And I really like this wish, which is the song that folks will hear in the trailer for the movie. But I just, I didn't really connect to any of the other songs. It felt almost just like the generic versions of the more Lin-Manuel Miranda and Robert and Kristen Lopez songs that they've been using in recent years. So Wish was, unfortunately, actually one of my least favorite Disney movies of all time. <laughs> but I... You know what I don't I, understand? Mm-hmm. Tell me. Why there haven't been more movies with Mickey. Like, the, if this is the House of Mouse 
Yeah. The same way that New Regency was the house that Freddie built, it was the short films with Mickey, and part of the success of Fantasia, and uh, the 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 whole idea behind this mouse being the inspiration for why Walt Disney did what he did. What there have been tons of TV shows, on like either Disney Channel or or Disney Junior or whatever. Yeah. But why can't we get another movie with this mouse? He's got some direct-to-video or direct-to-DVD movies out there. He appears in Fantasia. He's in Fun and Fancy Free. Did you check out Fun and Fancy Free, Christian? Not at all. Not one bit. <laughs> Don't even know what that is. Mickey and the Beanstalk, baby. Wait. One of the package films from the World War II era of Disney animation. Am, am I crazy or is there a Three Musketeers movie? Or is there that... is, and it went direct-to-video. But That feels like a movie that would have been great for the big screen. Never seen it, but uh, my, my mom owned it, but she owned it in Portuguese. Which is interesting because we your mother does not speak Portuguese. My mom understands Portuguese. Oh, okay. okay. And I, I think she was just like, let's get it since we can't get it in English. You know, that's fair philosophy, I suppose. Um, well, before we, uh, before we go and examine the house that Mickey built more broadly... Any final thoughts on Wish? One that Christian recommends and that I do not for this um, for this Thanksgiving season if you're going out to the movies. This is rare. It's normally you're big on a movie and I'm like anti it. Look. Yeah. We talk about that. How infrequently uh, normally we both like a movie, we both agree to dislike a movie, or I like something that Christian doesn't. It's it's not normally the other way around. <laughs> Look, I, I do recommend this movie. Um it's not the best animated movie of this year. It is not the What's the best way to put this? It it it's also it's not breaking any real new ground. It's it's take the family though, and if especially if you grew up with Disney, this is for you. Well, Christian, I grew up with Disney, and I've had a blast rewatching a great number of Disney films this month. We were doing the math before we started recording. You said you landed somewhere on twenty five or twenty six. I managed to fit in twenty nine. Since well. yeah, since uh, since beginning this project, so. For me, I moved through a lot of Disney's past. I watched every Golden Age film, almost every Silver Age film, and uh, missed a few from the, I forget what they call it after that, but basically from the 70s to the 2000s. And then I only watched one movie that came out post-2000. But what about you? What was what was sort of guiding your philosophy? Were you going chronologically? Or were you picking things you thought might be your favorite that you didn't remember from childhood? Or I left what had previously been my favorites to the end because I wanted to try and explore new ones or rewatch ones that I had not done so before. Um, I I did I watched most of the Golden Age, 75% of the Silver Age, all of the Disney Renaissance, I think, and, and even Rescuers Down Under, I used to watch a lot as a kid. And I, I, I basically had knew what my thoughts were going to be on Rescuers Down Under, but didn't rewatch it, but knew about it. Um, I did try and go into the 2000s, though. And I looked at what Disney had done in the 2000s. And then was kind of torn between some... I don't know. I, 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 I just tried to pick and choose in that manner. What have I not seen in a long time? What have I never seen? Those got priority. Previous favorites were safe till the end. And then I tried to make up my thoughts. 
I did. I, I definitely left a few that I still have never seen. And they were movies that I wanted to watch had I the time. Like, for example, I've never seen either Wreck-It Ralph movie. I've seen a lot of Disney oh, movies. Those are, those are wonderful. I, I've seen basically every Disney movie from recent memory, but those are the two that I've missed. I didn't see the first one because I think I was in college when it came out and didn't go to the movies as often because there wasn't a theater particularly close to my school. And obviously didn't see the sequel because I'd never seen the first one. So I wanted to check those out. I just still have not. And there's some older movies. I watched some of the the World War II era package films for the first time. Fun and Fancy Free among them. Which uh, is a movie that I liked less than Wish. So <laughs> check out Mickey and the Beanstalk on its own is what I will say about that. But I was mostly re-watching things that I hadn't seen since childhood. And I've had a blast doing it. I actually... I'm not going to treat this particular list as the gospel truth, but I did go 1 through 40 for the movies that I watched this month and that I have previously given a review or a star rating on Letterboxd. And I lost my train of thought. Fun and Fancy Free is 39, though. <laughs> I, I, I don't have the full running list. I will say my number one surprised me and it was not my number one before going into this project and me rewatching it. Um, and... It, you said you wanted to, to go through our items slightly quickly so that we have time at the end for honorable mentions. I do. I remember what I was going to say, Christian. Basically, I grew up with Disney. Nice. I love these movies. I mean, as, as do you. I was looking at it, and my first negative star rating on a list 1 to 40 starts at 36. Nice. So, <laughs> I at least give a passing grade and like almost all of the movies that Disney has put out. At least the ones that I've seen... Or the ones that I remember. Like, for example, I wanted to rewatch Tarzan for this project and did not get to do it. But I did. There you go. I have fond memories of Tarzan. I have fond memories of Brother Bear, a movie that a lot of people consider in the bottom third of Disney stuff. But Never seen it, except he turns into a bear and befriends a real bear. Yeah, indeed he does. Coda. Coda the bear. He's, he's, he's a scamp, Christian. He's a real sweetheart little guy. Any relation to Best Picture winner Coda? No. Oh. It's spelled with a K. Coda Kid of deaf adults. He's a bear. So, that's a movie that I <laughs> remember liking with my watching with my siblings, but I just did not get a chance to rewatch it. Okay, so, so I'm going off on a limb here and saying Brother Bear and Tarzan not on your top five. I I did not include them because I sort of Inching gave my closer to knowing. <laughs> Fun and fancy free. No wish. No. Keep doing the math, Christian. But yes, I did want to give myself the rule that if I haven't at least logged it on Letterboxd, it couldn't be in consideration. Just because if I haven't seen a movie in over 20 years, for example, it's hard to include it and say it's one of my favorites. So Christian, I turn to you now. Here's what we're going to do, listeners. We're just going to go quickly. I mean, not quickly, hopefully, but five through one. We have not shared lists with each other. So Christian could say my number one as his number five, and we just don't know. But we're going to take that leap because there's so many movies here. We figured it was worth just springing these on each other. And then we'll talk through some of the different eras and, and share about honorable mentions and things of that nature. Wait, are we, are we, are we talking about the movie after we say what number it is? Yeah, I thought so. Okay, cool. I, I thought you were saying, you want me to give my five, four, three, two, one. No, 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 no. Start, Christian, with your number five. All right. You ready for my number five? I am. Ohana means family, Scott. Let's go. <laughs> family means no one gets left behind or forgotten, bro. Christian, I believe you mean Ohana means family. 
know, I did not realize how much I loved Lilo and Stitch. Oh, okay. There is a time in the early 2000s where Disney puts out three movies in a row. They are Atlantis, The Lost Empire. They are Lilo and Stitch. They are Treasure Planet. And those three movies are sci-fi movies that are not Disney princess movies and are not musicals. And I do think that animation sometimes works best in the sci-fi or fantasy genre. And here we are dealing with a little alien who is like, it, he's basically the alien equivalent of Forky from Toy Story 4 created as an... <laughs> Forky, when he is first born, thinks he's trash. Everyone calls Experiment 626 an abomination. And he flees, find him, himself, and th this movie got me really close to crying, and I don't cry really. And it was when he is relating himself to the ugly duckling. It's unbearably cute. And then <laughs> at the very end, when they capture him, so basically he's on the run from the Galactic Empire and finds refuge in Hawaii where he gets adopted because Lilo thinks he's a dog and finds him in the dog shelter where all the other dogs are hiding on the ceiling. And he's being pursued by... Because Stitch has scared them. Let's, 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 it's like a bit of animated comedy, folks. And now, and he's being pursued by Doctor Jumba and Pleakley. Pleakley, no, yes, but I was thinking about Gantu. Gantu eventually goes to oh, pursue yes, them. Oh, Captain Gantu. The alien design is so cool. the The dialogue is is, is so incredible. the The idea that um, a family does not need to be perfect, and this is like a beautiful view of not needing to focus on the nuclear family. And Disney's very into the nuclear family because Lilo and uh, Nani her sister have lost both of their parents recently and uh, Nani is trying to stop social services from getting taking Lilo away from her and at the end when uh, Stitches uh, Stitch has been uh, basically captured he says uh, this is my family it's small and broken but I found it all on my no but it's still good and I found it and I was like, this hits hard and is one of the most human approaches to family. And the, the like, it's so creative. It's so incredibly creative. It does not need to use music, like any musical numbers in order to advance the story, though there are some beautiful Elvis needle drops that they're including in here. Plus some great Hawaiian, uh, performances by Hawaiian musicians. Yes. Like, I, this is the movie that I watched from the 2000s. It's the final movie I watched as part of this project. And the song Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride that plays during the surfing sequence is a song that I loved as a kid and now it's been stuck in my head all day long as I <laughs> watched it last night. It was like I, it was really fitting it in at the 11th hour before recording. And I'm, I, I, I found myself liking this movie, loving it. And, and the, like that heart, that purity that Disney is known for being almost at its rawest here. So yeah, Lilo and Stitch is my number five. Speaking of some innovations, it's not really innovation, but one animated tech or animate technique of animation they used in the movie is they actually use watercolors for a lot of the background and environment work, and it makes the movie pop in a way that a lot of modern Disney movies, even the hand-drawn ones from the 90s and 2000s, don't. Um, it, it's just a really great creative choice. 
I, I love Lilo. She is so funny and cute. Um, Davy Chase is the vocal performer there, who strangely enough was also, I believe, the, the haunted girl in The Ring, like the well, American. Yes, yes, she was. Or The Grudge. It was one of those. <laughs> she's this like, ring. yeah, she's this haunted figure in a horror movie and also the voice of Lilo. And, and Lilo and Stitch. The director and, and co-directors, co-writers, Dean DeBois and Chris Anderson. I think Chris Anderson was also the voice of Stitch. He sure was. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, this is the only Disney movie in which Ving Rhames has a vocal performance, which automatically gets it a positive review in my book. Everything else is just gravy. So, he shout out to play, Lilo and Stitch. He should play the same character in the live-action version, because he looks exactly like him. Honestly, that would make me happy if they did that. Right. Christian... I have a, an even more modern choice for my number five here. Is it Frozen 2? It, uh, speaking of my actual least favorite Disney movie of all time, it's Frozen 2. Um, I, once, uh, I got into a minor argument with Maddie after that one, but uh, we're not here to talk about the arguments I've had with Maddie about Disney movies. We're here to talk about Disney movies that I enjoy. And I had Zootopia in number five. It's a movie that we talked about on our billion-dollar episode way back in the day with Keenan and Case in Color of the Hollywood Week podcast. Shout out to those guys. But Christian, I'm actually making a swap. And I'm putting in a real, true, personal favorite at number five here. It, it was number seven. It's leapfrogging The Lion King at number six into Zootopia's number five spot. And that movie is Raya and the Last Dragon. You... Loved this movie when it came out. Indeed, I did. And I was like, Scott, what are you talking about? Look, I love that I let you go on Lilo and Stitch. You just you jumped out of the gate. You're talking. You're talking Stitch and all his little shenanigans. True. And now you're about to just absolutely dump on no, no, my no, no, number no, no. five. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to. I'm just. I was actually. You had such passion for Raya. And you did not include Raya in your top twenty of the year that year, and I was like, it, "So, so at the time, you know, it, your opinions—they're fluid. They they change. They flow over time." I had a really visceral reaction to Raya and the Last Dragon, and that really uh, is what landed it on my top five of the year so far that year. And I moved it off when we got to our year-end list, just because some of my passion had abated a bit, and I wanted to fit some other things on. It was in the eleven through twenty section, but. I'm putting Raya at my number five for just a true personal flavor. I'm, I'm one of the biggest fans of this movie, I think, where I know that for a lot of people, it's a very average Disney movie, especially from recent years when you're comparing it with uh, some of the other movies that have come out that have surpassed it culturally, like Encanto, for example, that is uh, significantly more popular. Frozen and Frozen 2, significantly more popular. But I really love the fantasy adventure of Raya and the Last Dragon. The world of Kumandra, to me, uh, is really, really cool, honestly. It's based off the body of a dragon, and the different uh, tribes that are, or the kingdoms that have formed within it all take their name after the different parts of the dragon. I, I and We just go on this really fun fantasy adventure where Raya herself teams up with Sisu, a dragon, voiced by Aquafina, of course, and Raya herself, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, who is someone I feel a little affection for as... A the Last Jedi fan, and she got some really vicious hatred for her part in that movie, which is a great shame because she didn't write the character; she just performed it, and yet people really uh, bullied we're, her off of social we're media. We're racist. We're Blatantly flat out racist. racist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I really love to see her get another big part. Obviously, just vocally this time, but um, I, I love seeing her get another shot at a big Disney movie like this. 
and the story structure of them traveling from each part of the land to collect basically one person <laughs> from each there, um, from each kingdom, whatever you want to call it, um, on their quest ultimately to save the day, stop this plague, yeah. and, and turn all the people who turn into stone back into flesh and blood again. I just really got behind it, but the ending is really what sealed the deal for me. Um, it, of course, at the end, yay, everybody wins. The bad, the bad stuff is put away, and all the all grievances are set aside, and everybody comes back together as one kingdom. And that just really resonated with me at the time, to the point where I saw this at a drive-in theater. You this had came a out religious experience. Right? I did have a religious experience. It came out in 2021, and some movies were back in theaters, some weren't. But we saw this at a drive-in at the time, and I literally broke down sobbing at the end of this movie. <laughs> Um, where Maddie had to check on me. She's like, are you okay? We have to drive and leave the drive-in now. Um, I need a second to collect myself. Um, what, what's interesting is there's this there's a spiritual concept in Christianity uh, that at the end of everything, that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered in the afterlife and all will be together and be with God. And to me, for whatever reason, it just really struck a chord. Um, the way that the ending of this movie relates to that concept of these people who have been enemies, who have um, hated each other, who have been violent with each other, are now returned to each other as one united kingdom. And that just really spoke to me at the time. So I I'd love to rewatch Raya. I didn't get around to it for this list, and I'm just going to let it be what it was. Uh, this crystallized, perfect movie experience that is special to me and almost no one else. But um, I'm a big fan of Raya and recommend that you see it if you never did or rewatch it if you haven't. I know I'd like to get to it as a rewatch in the near future here. I will say that it was a. Disney finally got into this stage where they could make strong female leads and not give them any love interests and I think that this was a beautiful example of it there were definitely sides or, or, or like there was an animation to the women here which I had not seen in previous iterations um, I'm not a fan of this movie but I, I will be real and say I think there are some I, I remember having some problems with the writing and and that there are there are underbaked elements to the story that yeah. were just overwhelmed by the positives of it for me. Sure. But I I do not deny that the message is pure. As pure as anything that Disney can be. So Christian, you're number four. Scott, you poor unfortunate soul. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. My number four is 1989's ushering in of the Disney Renaissance. It is The Little Mermaid. And I rewatched this and one of the first thoughts that came into my mind is these colors are muted and then the more i thought about it i'm like and despite the fact that these colors are muted the animation going into how cool all of the different sea creatures are is stupendous the numbers are amazing i i was reading a review that said is ursula top five disney villain and i'm like ursula is so sneaky and she makes herself known so early on as someone who is devious and making this deal and she is not kind and sebastian is is just a wonderful it's it, like the beginning it's not the beginning at all it's one of those like the side comedic relief animal character in a disney movie but the thing is he's also a conductor and any fish like, they gave him the ability to turn any single fish into something that can be turned into uh, percussion. And, and I mean, like I wouldn't call it an ability. I would just call it, like, that's how they animate <laughs> this undersea kingdom. And, and you know what song actually struck me 
this watch through that had never struck me before was Kiss the Girl. Kiss the Girl. Oh my my. And and how they were so close to kissing, but then Flotsam and Jetsam like ruin it. And how those dastardly eels. They they don't like Ariel doesn't make it. She loses the she she doesn't get the kiss or isn't going to get kissed until after the sunset. And Ursula actually wins. And then like the whole thought of like, well, you fulfilled the contract now, how do we stop everything? It's some beautiful adventure filmmaking. It's 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 a wonderful like new take because Ariel okay, look, Ariel's very young. She's like sixteen and she looks sixteen. <laughs> the it, she doesn't have like a full dress. I, I I don't know. Like she she she's she's dressed like appropriately, and it feels, despite the fact that this is like dealing with an undersea kingdom, it feels like a step away from the royalty that Disney had to cut its teeth on, which I did absolutely love. Um, yeah, Ariel is very headstrong yes. as a character. She blatantly disobeys her father multiple times, multiple times and of course gets herself into trouble but ultimately the day is saved and it's a very marked difference from some of the other princess movies that we watched earlier on in this month and as things were changing with the Disney Renaissance I think that is something that was intentionally changed as they're giving greater dimension to these lead characters they're bringing Broadway style music to the songs 100%. I mean this movie got a few Oscar nominations, and Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl both got nominated in the Best Original Song category. Did Under the Sea win? Yes. Okay, cool. But the best song is Part of Your World, and it didn't even get nominated. I mean, the the just the, the great songs in this movie, it's so real. I mean, Part of Your World is like, it's one of the most, it's one of the greatest Disney moments, I think, because it very loudly and musically declares what is about to change in the next 10 years of Disney movies. Uh, it's a beautifully sung song by Jody Benson, who's the voice of Ariel, and beautifully directed sequence by John Musker and Ron Clements, who are some of the most influential animated uh, or yes. directing animators in uh, during the Disney Renaissance and after it. They, I mean, they made Moana, so uh, they're still around. Um, you know yeah, what's great cool, movie. Though, about that, that um, I mean, Under the Sea is my favorite song in it, and while Sebastian is doing Under the Sea, Ariel is listening along until Thunder tells her to go. Like she literally leaves in the middle of this hard song, and it's 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 one of it. It almost feels like tongue in cheek to the type of music because beforehand, no, we didn't have Broadway song musical, but music was still very important to Disney. And you had like even the uh, the one that comes to mind is um one of the ones that comes to mind is like Oh Sweet Nightingale from from Cinderella or um I know you have walked with you once upon a dream from Sleeping Beauty. Like, those were still important, but here it, it, it's like a show-stopping number. Ariel doesn't care. And it, it's definitely a comment on the past as it ushers in a new era. Loved it. Absolutely was taken by it. And honestly, I think this is a good intro Disney movie to a child for whenever I have one. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, pretty pretty great one to include. 
uh, as you're introducing your kids to movies, I would assume I'm a fan of The Little Mermaid as well. Okay. But my number four is a different movie from the Disney Renaissance, and it is a movie that we talked about on this podcast. It's Beauty and the Beast. Um, I the Beast. don't need to go too much longer on Beauty and the Beast. We just discussed it at length last week, but I think Beauty and the Beast is stupendous. It has stuck with me, even though I watched it on my phone on a plane. <laughs> um, yeah, just an absolutely beautiful movie. One of... Uh, to me, Disney's um, best executed, like, thematically rich narratives. Um, another key difference of the Disney Renaissance is we're deepening the narrative. Uh, we're, we're really not just relying on the creativity and the fun to be found with the animation, but uh, we're building out our worlds, using these bigger Broadway musical-style numbers, telling deeper stories, and I think Beauty and the Beast is just a triumph. So, number four for me. And back to you, Christian, unless you want to add something about Beauty and the Beast. I... I mean it when I say that that moment when you first get the 2D in front of the 3D generated bookcase is gorgeous. And when you, it, it looks like the dolly is like, not the, I mean the camera is getting crane shotted up to showcase a chandelier. It goes down as one of the best ever reveals in like cinematic history of a new technique that is being brought out. It's, it, it, it's, it's amazing. One of my complaints about Wish is it feels like Disney is sort of falling behind when it comes to technological innovation, where you have movies like uh, Spider-Man Into and Across the Spider-Verse really changing the game from mainstream animation in America in terms of feature-length filmmaking. Would love to see Disney and their their folks working, the animators themselves, get back to being out front of this technological innovation, because Beauty and the Beast, game-changing film. other, it wasn't the first Disney movie to incorporate the... Um, Great Mouse Detective, I think, was the first one. Yeah, yes, Great Mouse Detective had a sequence at the end uh, where they used computer-generated imagery to enhance the animation. But Beauty and the Beast, again, like that sequence you're talking about was a huge step forward uh, in terms of how they were able to use different tools to make these animated films. And obviously Disney has now since shifted into almost entirely 3D animated films, at least over the last 12 years. So would love to see them step out in the forefront again. But I mean, these things come and go in waves. These things do come and go in waves. It's very true. All right. Um, so, Scott. Yes. Do you know who's got 75 golden camels and 53 purple peacocks? Um, the cows from Home on the Range? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have Aladdin as my number three. Disney Renaissance over here. Yes, and believe it or not, I'm surprised that Aladdin was three. It was number one before we started this month. Really? Yes. Oh. Um, rewatched it, still loved it. Jafar might be my favorite Disney villain. He's a good one. And He's up there. What What I think is really cool about this, well, first of all, they use CGI when they're going into the cave that has the lamp, and it looks gorgeous. It looks actually scary, because now they're doing it in a nighttime sequence. Um, Aladdin was just the coolest character. Aladdin was just a character who like dreamed of bigger things, which Disney knows how to do, and then try to fake his way into it. Um, <laughs> Jasmine's pet tiger Raya, which became just one of the Raj. Raj, <laughs> not Raya. That's my movie. <laughs> Raj, which just became one of the coolest like just flexes in terms of giving a character a sidekick. Iago, which as sinister as evil as Jafar. Rest in peace to Gilbert Gottfried, man. This is uh, he gives an indelible vocal performance in the in this Disney movie. And what what they did in 
the screenwriting technique, and I haven't even gotten to Robin Williams. And when you rewatch Robin Williams' Genie, it is one of my favorite Robin Williams performances ever. It's unbelievable. Oh my! <laughs> like, he is, he is so good. Jafar, one third of the way into the movie, thinks that he has lost the land forever, and so he needs to recalculate a plan. And it's almost you can see the gears churning as he figures out what his next step should be in order to still stay in power. That's amazing. That's like a oh. We're literally dropped into a story that is still progressing, not a story that's going to have the regular like, villain arc that we've come to know before. The animation of Jafar going and becoming from Sultan to Sorcerer to Genie is, is, is wonderful. And, um, oh man, what, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing, I'm, I'm losing it. Okay, a whole new world. What a song. What a song. <laughs> Crazy good song. Crazy good song. And in that moment, the chemistry between Aladdin and Jasmine becomes the most probable chemistry ever to me. Loved Aladdin before, love it now. Oh man, it's it it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Most importantly, it's the only Disney movie in which the lead character is voiced by a man named Scott. So shout out to Scott Wanger. You're really fighting the good fight for all of us out there. We appreciate you at, here at Scott Incorporated. Oh, I and I think, oh, he also did The Return of Jafar and Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the voice actors would return for those direct-to-video sequels. No. Yes. I don't think so. A lot of them would. Michael J. Fox from Atlantis did not return for Atlantis 2, Milo's Return. Well, congrats to Michael J. Fox. Robin Williams himself did not return for the sequel, but then came back for the third Aladdin movie. That's so weird. Well, it's not, because there was a whole controversy where like Disney broke an agreement, like a handshake agreement they had with him about how to market the character and his performance in it. and. He, the, some of the folks, the powers that be, pissed him off, and then once they were gone, people were asking him to come back still, and, and sure. fences were mended, so he did. But, I mean, you also, like, Scott Weinger and Linda Larkin, absolutely no offense to them, but the the most successful, like, movie moment of their careers is being in Aladdin. Yeah. And that was the case for a lot of actors. I mean, Robin Williams really starts the celebrity voice acting trend for Disney. Um, a lot of times they were bringing in established actors who maybe weren't celebrities, or bringing in great vocal performers or people like Linda Larkin, Scott Weinger, who were Broadway. Yeah. Like they had Broadway experience yeah. or like they were successful vocal performers. So all that to say, uh, yes. In fact, some people would come back for the direct video sequels. Well, it, it's just that. And the reason I'm saying no is because sometimes like Bambi gets Bambi too in the early 2000s. Yeah. But that comes out like 70 that, years that's why after I'm saying fact. Direct to video sometimes came out a lot later for many of these things. So it just yes. wasn't possible. Right. Yes. Um, did you get a chance to rewatch Aladdin? I did. Good okay. movie. Okay. Let's go to your number three then. Perhaps the most recent Disney movie. I guess... Um, Wish? No, 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 no. I was going to say, I think Aladdin... Uh, Pocahontas might have the, the racism warning on Disney+, Plus, which Aladdin now has. But, uh, Is Pocahontas your number three? No. No, it's not. I'm just saying. I was going to say, I agree. I cannot stand uh, Aladdin, movie. perhaps the most recent movie to have the racism warning, which when you're watching early Disney movies, there is a lot of the oh. racism content warning that comes up on Disney+. Plus. Rewatching Peter Pan this morning. Trip. Mm, indeed. Uh, <laughs> but the movie that I'm going to talk about is certainly of an era where it could have received one of those mornings, and I don't believe it does, but that movie is 101 Dalmatians, coming in 1961 during the Silver Age. Okay. 
of Disney. I have thoughts on 101 Dalmatians. Folks, 101 Dalmatians is an absolutely fantastic movie. And this is one where, it, it once again, I mean, this is a, a Scott Lenz personal fave choice. I'm not going to sit down and argue with someone that 101 Dalmatians is objectively one of the best Disney movies ever made, which is not really how talking about art goes anyway, but certainly one of my favorites. I absolutely love the visual style for this movie. With um, so the, the way that the, the world of London in the 60s is, is depicted with these bright colors and kind of bold, uh, almost like expressionistic ways and of the colors capturing like the world. Push through the pencil drawing? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as neat and clean yes. as so many Disney movies are, of course. But yeah, and just the to dogs really. refer to the humans as pets. Yeah, great bit. Uh, <laughs> Pongo and Perdita, when they meet, are talking about how they can get their pets together. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Of course, Cruella de Vil. We're talking about all time great Disney villains. Cruella de Vil, as voiced by Betty Lou Gerson, is a classic Disney villain. She is so deliciously evil and literally wants to skin puppies for fur coats, which is like. (laughs) In context of like evil plans you can have without murdering a ton of people, uh, murdering a hundred dogs is certainly up there. I and Disney made a lot of movies with dogs, which made me very emotional as I was watching it next to my dogs. And you know, I didn't cry watching 101 Dalmatians, but I love a good Disney dog movie. And the visual style is so fun. The story itself, I, I think, is a really fun, like classic Disney story of uh, trying to find and save these puppies. And there's a lot of really fun canine and, and feline characters as well. Is this 61? 61. Yes, okay. My, my particular favorite uh, like little part of the movie is there's this thing they call the midnight bark, or evening bark, sunset bark, I don't know. But Pongo and Perdita are trying to spread the word to other dogs that their puppies have gone missing, and word eventually gets to the animals who live on the, uh, you know, on the property of a military man. And so he's... A general or a colonel or something, but like then the horse is the, captain. Yeah, yeah. The the horse is captain. Or the, is the cat? <laughs> no, the horse is captain. I think the dog is the colonel, and the cat is Sergeant Tibbs. We and love it. Sergeant Tibbs is legitimately one of my favorite Disney characters. <laughs> I just love him. So, Christian, your 101 Dalmatians thoughts? I rewatched it because I knew that you had seen it and rated it like highly. I I did not remember this movie whatsoever. It is in the top ten, probably number eight or seven or eight for me. It it, it is gorgeous. It is wonderful, and it, it is the perfect marriage because at the end, originally Pongo and and, and Perdita only have uh, 14, 14 or fifteen puppies. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's something around that, and I was like, where are the other ninety gonna come from? And. At the end, when when they escape, they bring all of the other seventy-four puppies with them to the to the house of of, of Pongo and Perdita's owners, and they go, "Well, we'll I guess we'll just get a bigger house." <laughs> Absolutely insane. That Roger Roger is off his gourd. He is ludicrously insane. He wants to, to get some land and open a Dalmatian foundation. That's his last little song that they sing at the end of the movie. Which, if if you are married to this man, you are sitting him down, having a stern conversation. <laughs> I would love a woman who was like, wow, more dogs, yay! Like that. 
She, I mean, you it's know, what, it's basically what she does, and also when she go, uh, no, 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 the song, the Cruella de Vil is is so catchy, and it it and it's so funny when when you realize that Cruella de Vil starts off as being um, one of their friends. Yeah, she's. Uh, it, it, I'm trying to remember. It's Roger and who's who's Perdita's pet, shall we say? I'm I'm forgetting her actual name which is oh anita anita yes anita and cruella go way back and cruella's trying to like get the puppies for her own nefarious purposes but she comes like storming into their house with like green cigarette smoke <laughs> somehow yes. just to show how wicked she is green being a consistent villain color for disney yeah uh absolutely stupendous movie if you want to do some classic disney homework i would strongly recommend 101 dalmatians and actually christian a little spoiler alert it is, I believe, yes, it is the most recent movie on the rest of my list. Two and one are both older than this. So I, I'm going back into the classics, and I'm excited about it. But Christian, what is your number two? Uh, my number two is older than 101 Dalmatians. My number two is Sleeping Beauty. Now, Sleeping Beauty, I realized as I was rewatching it that I had seen it before. I thought that it was the first time watched. I had seen it before. The watercolor is gorgeous. It is one of the most beautiful looking movies and you said this it is one of the most beautiful looking movies that has ever been made the um i am gonna put this out there immediately princess aurora is not a strong princess she is she i think she, i think someone said she has 19 lines of dialogue total and i believe that she does not speak a lot and you need to understand i think that this is more than anything a prince eric story this is a Prince Eric story. The, the the flora fauna and Mary weather are perfect fairies going into this maleficent. Prince Philip. Prince Philip. Prince Eric is uh, a little mermaid. Little mermaid. <laughs> this is a Prince Philip movie. Um, flora fauna and Mary weather are perfect fairies. Maleficent is great as to how evil she is. The um, turning of her crow into stone is a perfect little part of the movie. This this is an adventure movie. This is this is. A cool fairy tale adventure movie, and it's very, very blatantly we are good and Maleficent is bad, and it's it's traditional. It's like Lord of the Rings, you know, this is good and what they have is bad. It's not trying to blur any lines, and even the sword that they give Prince Philip, it's like this is the the sword of truth, and when he needs to throw, it's like, aim truth. It's, oh man. It's gorgeous. It's simple. It's cool. And the I know you. I've walked. I've walked with you once upon a dream. Is is such classically gorgeous singing, especially when it is Princess Aurora's dream to be with the prince, having been for fear of her safety locked up for sixteen years. That an owl steals a red cape and starts to dance with her she grabs onto the sleeves of this red cape and there's something so sad about that and also so cool when philip is the one to take its place that this love is is love that does not exist like between the two of them that is not real this is the one that feels the most like a fairy tale to me in the best way possible yeah sleeping beauty amazing Christian, we finally have some overlap because this is my favorite Disney movie. This is this is the one. It is the one that uh, I just haven't really stopped thinking about since rewatching it for the first time. And again, probably tw over twenty years 
Um, Sleeping Beauty is an extraordinary film. Uh, I mean, the, like you said, the visuals and the just the knowing that real people put pen to paper and to for you know to use a turn of phrase and made this with their their minds and their their actual physical hands uh, is extraordinary. I mean, just a, a stunningly beautiful film, the single most beautiful film that Disney has ever put out, in my opinion. And so many indelible, lovable characters. Maleficent maybe maybe the best Disney villain. I mean, she's certainly up there. Kingdom Hearts obviously kind of gives her some points in my book. Um, but she's just fantastic. If your villain turns into a dragon, bonus points. Um, but yes, the all three fairies are just such like delightful characters. Meriwether, the blue fairy, for those who don't remember their names, is so funny. Um, Every frame of this movie, even at the end, so it's Meriwether and Flora who have that fight between whether the dress should be blue or pink. And so as she's dancing with Philip, they turn it, it changes between yes. blue and pink and blue or red, maybe blue and red and blue and red and blue and red. It's, it's pink, yeah. Or pink. And it looks, it looks magical. Like it looks like something you can't make up. And oh man, it's... It, it, it's amazing, and I'm hoping that one day I do I do try and see this on 70 millimeter because this would looks be like incredible. the most amazing thing to watch on 70 millimeter. You know, I think where people kind of it, when people are doing exercises like this of ranking Disney movies and talking about their favorites, I think Sleeping Beauty sometimes gets docked for its familiarity and its similarity to Cinderella and Snow White, the prior two princess stories. And the way that I actually see that is more of a synthesis of those two movies than anything, where Yes, they're working with very similar narrative um, techniques or, uh, you know, story beats, whatever you want to say. But it feels like the best version of this particular type of princess story. And, and like you said, it would have been nice if Aurora herself was more of a central character. Um, but we do have this Prince Philip movie, and he is the prince with the most agency out of those three early princess stories from Disney. He actually has wants and desires and wants to go against it. Like, this is a movie for boys. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, a movie called Sleeping Beauty maybe may not you know be the most one-to-one -one connection for imagining a movie for boys, but absolutely. Like, we have a prince here who does his own thing. He, like, wants to break away from his father's wishes for him and marry this peasant girl because he loves her and he thinks that she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. And then he has to go on a quest to save her. He gets this magical armor and, and sword that you just talked about. He fights a dragon and defeats an evil sorceress and saves the day and gets the girl. And, oh, it's the right one all along. Like, it's, it is a, an absolutely wonderful movie. And, yes, my number one. I'm glad it's your number two. We both thought so highly of it. Um, I will go on to my number two unless you want to add any, any final thoughts on Sleeping Beauty. No, I, I want to go on to your number two. Uh, last Sleeping Beauty thought. Shout out to the, like, the goons, like the weird little creatures that Maleficent oh, the has. Pigs? The piggies? Yeah, but they're like, they're, they're not, not, not even all the same pig design. Like, there's some weird, <laughs> some weird guys and I, I love them. Christian, my number two is from the golden age of Disney. We talked about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. We talked about Pinocchio. Great films. Rewatched Fantasia. Maybe a little bit of a heretic here. Not among my favorite Disney movies. I know it's uh, pretty widely regarded. Uh, Rewatched Dumbo. Really not, I'm not a huge fan of Dumbo. Um, but the fifth movie. The fifth and final movie of the Golden Age of Disney. That's a little movie called Bambi, folks. Uh, a movie about a deer. A little baby deer. He's born. He grows. He experiences loss. Death. Falls in love. 
starts a family, becomes a hero. Folks, I mean, it's the journey we all want to go on. I mean, we all want to become the heroes of our own story. We all want to save the day and save the person or deer in Bambi's case that we love. But, I mean, Bambi in particular, I think, is just the masterpiece of this early era for Disney. I, I hold it just behind Sleeping Beauty in regard, but it really blew me away when I was, again, rewatching for the first time in over 20 years. I mean, the, the art and the animation here is simply stunning. Like, the way the natural world is presented. And I think, too, Bambi has some pretty deep themes that a lot of times these early Disney movies with their more sparse narratives didn't always get into. But I think respect for the natural world, exploring growing up and coming of age and, and dealing with loss like Bambi does, just a great way of introducing these concepts to children who are hopefully going to be watching Bambi at a young age. I think, too, there's a really interesting thread with just the human interaction with the natural world. The only real interaction we get from humans is the sound of gunshots as they hunt these forest animals. And ultimately, like, the big final set piece of Bambi is this forest fire that starts and Bambi and, you know, he, his uh, father, the, the king of the forest, have to, like, protect some other animals and escape from these hunting dogs and such but we see the ways that humanity has been destructive on the natural world and again there's no character who's going to walk into screen and say like man those humans are really evil and they shouldn't kill and eat deer but they're introducing the theme in, in a, a limited way and allowing people to you know kids especially to just think about it think about what that means i really thought about bambi as almost like the the proto studio ghibli film where Hayao Miyazaki's movies are a lot more in your face with the pro-environmentalist stance that he takes. And Bambi feels like this sort of, the prologue to a lot of the movies that he would make. Um, not all of which are, you know, environmentalist propaganda, but uh, this feels almost like, like akin to Princess Mononoke, a movie that on surface value, or uh, on face value, might have almost nothing in common <laughs> with Bambi. But as I thought about it more deeply, it did. So. That's a lot to say about Bambi. Thumper, all-time great Disney character. Shout out to my boy. Uh, but yeah, Bambi, absolutely great film. Masterpiece from the early era. My number two Disney film. Couldn't stand it. Rewatched it. You, Could not stand it. Are you serious, Christian? I, 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 I found it so boring. I found it so incredibly boring. I found it. You and the I, word I boring. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. If you love, I, if you I love wanted, boring so much, like you should go get married to minutes, boring, Christian. 45 minutes in... Bambi's mother finally dies. Finally, I, he says. I was, I was going to... I was just like, finally. And then we have 15 minutes left. It, it, abandoned by his father, by the way. No one talks about that. His dad just doesn't care that his dad's going... Christian, this is such a dysfunctional family. This is, is an awful family. King of the forest. Oh, He's got responsibilities. No, they call <laughs> him the prince. Okay. Bambi's the prince, yeah. And this is... <laughs> Oh man, and and this is one of those where you can so tell that no one actually had a story. No one actually had a story, and they're going under the very guise of saying hey, it's a coming of age story. And I'm like, don't you hate the these... the guise of coming of age story where your character is born and then grows up within the confines of the film and learns Not some valuable lessons in seventy minutes? It is using <laughs> its animation as a crutch and doesn't have anything like that's the most real ins- to crutch. Say. As a 
crutch. You're you actually are kind of pissing me off right now because I again like I, I I didn't interrupt you once as you were no, going on no, about no, no, how no, much no, you no. cared about Bambi. No, you didn't. But when you say things like Bambi is boring, you're revealing that you can't sit with a slower paced movie. Don't you dare. And when you talk about yes, I can. Bambi using animation as a crutch, like it's an animated film. It's not a crutch. They're they're depicting this natural world with animal characters. They couldn't go into the forest and film. Yes, but them. all of the characters there are there to talk about lessons that to their parents or Thumper is there to give lessons that his and, and that, that, that and his also, father has done it through his mother comic and relief the and Owl is there to talk <laughs> about what happens when you get something twiddle footed something footed they're, they've grown up into young adult animals and now they're gonna all fall in love which I thought the skunk was a girl Flower the skunk really thought Flower was a girl, and then Flower's a boy skunk, and that kind of threw me for a loop. Once the uh, the voice actors sh- uh, changed as they got older, but the he's talking I about thought Bambi was a girl for like <laughs> they call Bambi the prince of the forest before he rem- says a word. <laughs> I did not remember Bambi was a prince of the forest. Oh my god, Christian, this movie is seventy minutes long. It is an hour and ten minutes long. <laughs> and so that's a real indictment of the movie. <laughs> you are. Um, perhaps one of the most insane people I've ever known in my entire life, and I have a podcast with you, which is, that's how that should go. Christian, your number one Disney film. Do you want to guess? Um, I, I, I only have funny guesses. Um, you know, Chicken Little, Fantasia 2000, great, great movie. Um, Solidos Amigos, perhaps. The the Emperor's New Groove, your personal favorite cinematic depiction of the great country of Peru. So, my number one movie, and I... I did not expect this. Yeah, you said you've said this is this was a shock to you. It's Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet. Yes. Good gravy. I wish that I had fit this rewatch in because I really wanted to see it. Talk there, on it. There, there is. I, I will actually talk on it. There is the the main character. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt is playing Jim Hawkins. There is a part where he is going in flashbacks as to how his father left him when he was young. And it is overlaid with scenes of him finding a new father figure. And all of this is set against a song created specifically for this movie called I'm Still Here by the Goo Goo Dolls frontman, John Resnick. It is the most emo scene in any Disney movie ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one. <laughs> this, is, this is the one. No. It it made me realize this is what animated movies should be there for. Like, this is what actual adaptation is. Obviously, it's it, it's like the loosest of loosest adaptations of, of Treasure Island, where Treasure Planet is now a planet where treasures can be found in the core. And uh, uh, Jim Hawkins, fine, and who is apparently a very bright individual who is almost flunking out of school. His mother owns a, a cafe. By the way, this is all like in, in a world across the galaxy. There are aliens all over the place the alien designs are 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 unbelievable there is one man who has like weird um they almost look like intestines for hands and the only way he can speak is through farting oh good yes (laughs) no you're hating on bambi but you like the movie with the alien who farts to communicate um you've got you've got this um You've got a cyborg here, and this cyborg com- who is the cook of the ship that he ends up going on. By the way, this is a this is a a, a ship that is run by a captain who is a cat and a first officer who is a pile of rocks. And and, and it, it, good it, stuff. It, it's it's one of those where as I was watching it, I'm like, they 
they can't be serious. Like, this isn't how you're supposed to do it. All of the crew are, are given their own individual alien designs. The music is gorgeous. The CGI to recreate space is is looks so beautiful as the backdrop against this 2D animation. It is heartfelt. You don't learn a lot about Jim's character. You just know the basics, which is his mother is doing what she can. His father is not in the picture. And it's the most honest like call to adventure movie. And as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, this movie is, it's not, it, it, it's almost like it's taking for granted how beautiful its animation is. It's taking for granted how simplistic and yet um, it, thrilling it is to want to find an entire planet that's full of treasure. It's taking for granted how the villain in this movie is kind of like a tragic villain who actually gets their own arc. And I'm not going to spoil it here because, believe it or not, as, as as old as this movie is, I think it's 22 years. It's 21 years old. I think it came out in 02. Yeah. I, I don't think that many people have seen or remember Treasure Planet. And they were going to franchise this thing, but it was not a, a box office success. And it, it just – this movie came to prove, man, I, I, I think animation started off on such a wonderful foot by thinking maybe it is fairy tales where we can find our footing. But honestly, animation should also realize science fiction is a great place for it to find its footing. And this is, this is like a, it's underrated. I realized is is too small a word for it. What they are doing here by giving each and every single one of its characters not just their own distinct voice actor who is actually going for it, but a, a, like a feel to the crew and what it is the desire of each one of them is because when you're looking for treasure everyone is looking for treasure for a different reason and some people are just looking at it for money some for power and some people are looking at it because there is a desire to feel that thrill and that desire to feel the thrill of what adventure is especially when when they get to the final part when you get to the final but also there are deaths in this movie and it, it, it felt like dangerous like at any moment a character that you don't know is going to die you know another disney film has death in its narrative and feels dangerous at times christian bambi bambi yeah bambi most famous uh one of the most famous deaths in animated history in fact any thoughts on that should have happened sooner 70 minute movie couldn't have couldn't have happened any sooner <laughs> Treasure Planet is a movie that I wish I could have. Uh, I, I wish I had made time for it. I wish I had gotten to it. Um, I was gonna send you the, a YouTube clip of the of the emo song against like the, <laughs> but I'm like, but if I send this to him, he's gonna know that it's in my top five list. Either way, uh, great pull. Uh, it's it's definitely a movie that I think is a little more beloved by people of our generation. Where it's got a cult following. For if sure. if you're looking at sort of Disney ranked lists, it normally falls. Closer to the middle, or even the like the thirty to forty section. Um, but if you look on Letterbox, for example, it has a three point eight out of five, and is one of the mo- like highest rated of Disney movies. And so, uh, I really do think it's a movie that you know, where it came out when I was seven, I think you might have been six, like in and kind of in that age range. Like if you saw it then, it's probably a movie you love, and one that I know I saw it back then, but I haven't returned to it. I think partially just because my family like. We had the VHS tapes of all the older Disney movies, and we got some of them on DVD as time went by, but I don't think Treasure Planet ever made it in to the, the Lentz family collection. So I was re-watching other movies in those pre-Disney Plus days. But 
definitely a movie I wish I could have seen. And I certainly would have if I knew it was your number one. But I, I liked to be surprised with your list. And I think that was a, a fun approach for this particular episode. The opening of this movie is him on like the space equivalent of a sailboat where it, it's like, you know, being able to fly through the sky and he's like taking it for a joyride. It is an incredible opening to what to to what world you're going into, to what designs you should expect and to what technology is going to be there. And it's it's I find it so weird and so sad that Disney did put out three sci-fi movies in a row, and the, the the most financially successful one of those was Lilo and Stitch, but Lilo and Stitch is much more classical than Atlantis or Treasure Planet. Right, because I mean those are they're they're like big sci-fi adventures, yes. and Lilo and Stitch is a, like a very classical Disney story of this young girl who doesn't really fit in and finds her place in the world, uh, mixed in with with the sci-fi elements of an alien crash landing in Hawaii, uh, and even some more modern like story elements with uh, living with her sister and uh, dealing with social services. There, there's some maturity there too, but um, certainly Treasure Planet and Atlantis are much bigger, broader adventures. And unfortunately, their their critical reception uh, was a little bit more muted that I, I think than uh, maybe people who were young when they saw those movies and have some nostalgia for them. Those three movies are mature, and that's that's the thing. When I look at the rest of my of, of, of the movies that Disney has put out, as much as I think Atlantis is 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 like pretty good, just not great, and Lilo and Stitch obviously I think is one of the best that, that Disney has ever made. Um, they were going for something. They were going for a sense of danger and maturity, and and, and like elevating maybe even what age group can go and watch these movies. And the audience and the critics not take to it. And in some alternative future, this could have represented a different ship the same way that Little Mermaid did. It just didn't hold. And I'm like, I I wish I could have seen. They had an entire franchise for Treasure Planet. Like, and I'm not gonna say that the franchise was gonna be great, but it like planning other this is literally a movie where other films within this universe make sense. Makes so much sense. Christian, those are our yeah. respective top five Disney movies. You picked three movies from John Musker and Ron Clements, who, yes, I did. <laughs> you know, I, I, would, I would have liked a little more... Um, uh, date-wise diversity from you. Like, let's let's go further back in the past, maybe. But, I mean, I can't really blame you. Musker and Clements, uh, I mean, they are absolutely fantastic animators. They are still working with Disney, obviously. They did Moana, which is one of my favorites of recent memory for Disney. And their original debut, which they were not the only directors on, they were on a team of three or four, I believe, is The Great Mouse Detective, which is another super underrated Disney movie. Um, just, just a, a blast from right before the Disney Renaissance begins, but any other honorable mentions that you wanted to shout out? Number six was Beauty and the Beast, and that was hard. That was that was great movie. hard to not put in. Um, up there is absolutely Cinderella, and you know what else? After after it, it was Tarzan. When when you watch Tarzan, and it there's the cool thing where he's using he's like. Um, the vines are are like sh twisting, and so he needs to quickly move his legs to uh, his like feet to keep up with it. 
it's it, it's a great CGI element to introduce you into this jungle. I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I mean, stemming further back, 101 Dalmatians is a movie that I highly, highly considered for this. And then I rewatched Tangled. I still really like Tangled. I really like Tangled. I, I was planning on rewatching it if I had time. Obviously, I didn't go further uh, in time than Lilo and Stitch, but that's near the top for me. Like, it's it's just at the top 10 from this, like, rough sketch that I have made, but really like Tangled. Yeah. There's also rewatching Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, I, I, I was going to bring it up as my last one if you didn't, because holy cow, <laughs> what a movie. It, it's. There's. The most beautiful scene where Esmeralda is inside of the church for the first time and singing, God, do you see... God, help the outcast. (laughs) Allow me, Christian. Oh my goodness. Now, definitely the movie is dated and not a perfect depiction of the Romani. (laughs) Nope. No, no, no. But... Um, you know, as a as an adaptation of Victor Hugo in the Disney animated style, Wonderful. an impressively mature movie. The biggest sin, shall we say, that Hunchback of Notre Dame commits is that it keeps returning to these gargoyle characters. The gargoyles are not going to be there. <laughs> who are the like comic relief characters? And so Frollo, who is this like vindictive judge who raises Quasimodo the Hunchback. Uh, is like, I really hate all of the gypsies and I'm going to kill them all or expel them from Paris. Also, I have a raging lust thing for Esmeralda and if she doesn't choose me, I will literally burn her and a pyre and make an example out of her. And then the gargoyles are like, hey, Quasimodo, let's, <laughs> let's play cards and checkers and talk about how you can fall in love. <laughs> and it's, it is jarring. <laughs> and one of the gargoyles is like, in, is it in love with like the cat? Voiced by Jason Alexander. Shout out to him for all you Seinfeld fans out there. George Costanza himself. Uh, yes, there's a moment where everybody's like, wow, Esmeralda is so beautiful. And much like Asha in Wish, her sidekick is a goat. And so uh, at one point, the, um, the Jason Alexander gargoyle indicates that he has a crush. Uh, and they're like, she is beautiful. And they're like, he's like, yeah, Esmeralda too. And we're like, does he mean the goat? And in fact, he does. So he does that, yeah. Weird, weird movie. But I mean, the songs there are really good too. Like, yeah, just underrated classic of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, just the, the stupid gargoyles. <laughs> but otherwise, great movie. Um, I mean, I have some for sure dishonorable mentions, but those are those are the ones that I like. Dishonorable mention to The Sword in the Stone, <laughs> a movie that neither of us liked on rewatch. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, Chris, we should probably put a pin in it there. Uh, it's been a blast watching Disney movies and talking about them with you all month long. I'm a little bit disappointed that Wish did not live up to the promise of this Disney 100 month for me, but I'm glad that it did for you at the very least. And that puts, uh, you know, that, that wraps it up for this particular keg that we have tapped in the month of November. And now, Christian, it's almost December, yeah. which means we get to uh, turn our eyes ahead, turn our eyes behind, and uh, do a little anticipating, do a little top tending and reflecting. Uh, I turn it to you, Christian, to talk to the listeners about what's coming up next. Um, okay. Coming up next, I realized this year we have had... A- slash movies which are still coming out are from what are considered the great auteurs, the great directors, and the great writers. We have had movies this year which have come out from Greta Gerwig, Bradley Cooper, uh, Christopher Nolan. Bradley Cooper before Nolan, Martin Scorsese, Wes Anderson. 
Yeah, should tell you something about Bradley how I feel about Bradley Cooper. Todd Haynes. Mar- yes, Martin Scorsese was Anderson. Todd Haynes, absolutely. Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne. Yes. Um, Emerald Fennell, regardless of what you feel about her, is still a very interesting filmmaker to look at. And then as I was thinking about that and looking at next year, I'm like, is next year a desert? And so I wanted I mean, to say... <laughs> so many movies have gotten pushed to next year at this point. <laughs> I feel like, no. I feel I... like they've gotten pushed from next year to 25. Well, Marvel has been doing that. But a lot of other movies have been pushed from 23 to 24. And I'm making, I'm having us do this exercise a week earlier than I think we would normally because I need something to look forward to. And I don't know if I have that many things to look forward to right now. So next week will be our top five most anticipated movies of 2024. And it's going to be a fun one because I get to talk about Dune Part 2, which I'm pretty sure I talked about in my most anticipated of 2023, but that's neither here nor there. You're telling me that Dune Part 2 will be on your list? Screw the AMPTP. You guys are losers and you're not good at business. And then you had to pay the price by giving great deals to the writers and the actors. And I hope none of you get Christmas bonuses. Anyway, Christian, they what will. else is happening? Yeah, they probably will. But what else is happening in December? Do you want to share it yet or are you going to go week by week? Well, for sure we're going to have the Tappies week three and then week two. <laughs> the, the, the awards formerly known as the Drippies have been rebranded with us into the Tappies, folks. So never, never you fear. We'll have our end of year wrap up show. But for that one, we're going to have good beer and we're going to have two. Ooh. <laughs> Love two, you say. Um, week two, I am... I have three guests that I am debating between. And week three, week two, I mean, is also the week that I am going to be on vacation. And so we're going to be record that Monday. And that Monday, um, it will either be... If I lock down a guest, it's going to be a Marvel episode... If I lock down two other guests, it is going to be an animation episode. Very exciting. Yes. Uh, will I get to recount the plot of Secret Invasion, which I did before we started recording this show on that episode, for the listeners to hear, or will we do something a little bit more exciting, perhaps? Bro, you can recount the plot of... I, I will do what I was doing when, when something else was going on that I didn't care at all about. I'll just write another script. Great. Sounds good. Yes. Um, oh, with that, eventually you're going to say, Christian, do you have anything left at home? I am in the process of gathering a crew together for a short film. And we have uh, several people who have already been attached. I am hoping that potentially somewhere in the middle of December I can film it and we can film it in two weeks. And then uh, who knows what we'll do with it. But uh, so this is listeners, I guess, if you care. This is a project that will... Um, hopefully come to fruition for a script that has already undergone a, a round of revisions and it just needs to under I'm, I got someone to do a shot list with, or who's going to do a shot list with me after that shot list is done the second round of revisions will come through and then after that I think I'll be able to rehearse and do the final round before filming and I will be watching some more movies like I always do. But I offer my services to Christian as a grip should he need one. I will I will move the lights, Christian. I will pick them up from one setup and move them to the next should you need it. 
I would love that. <laughs> and folks, that is our show. So if you're still hanging around with us, thanks so much for listening to our uh, review of Wish and our top five Disney episode or top five Disney movies. We hope you enjoyed it and would love to know your lists. If we missed one of your favorites, if you've got an underrated number one like Christian, or if you are also out there in the Raya and the Last Dragon Hive, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. There are also a few things you can do to support the show. Namely, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Helps us reach new listeners on all of those platforms and just makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside when we see those positive reviews coming in. Uh, if you also wouldn't mind, follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and both of us on Letterboxd, where we're regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. We got a lot of Disney reviews from us in recent memory, but there's also going to be a lot of new releases coming in as we're doing some homework, kind of catching up on 2023 as a whole and preparing our top 10 lists for a future episode. So do follow us there. I follow back. So we'd love to, uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear from some listeners out there if y'all are on Letterboxd. Christian, you already mentioned your short film. Any other final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I am so tired all of the time. Yeah. That's, I think, just adult life, maybe. Uh, we're tired That's now. Wrong. And yes, it is. Uh, eventually, we'll have kids and we'll just be permanently tired for like 18 years. And then we'll be old, so we'll be tired anyway. And, you know, it's, it's all downhill from here, really. So was, we'll make the most of it, I suppose. I've also been. Um, I'll tell you this off mic. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Sounds like a plan. We got to go, listeners, so Christian can dish with me. But thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. <laughs>